0: Please turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, and I'll read verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We continue this morning our study in the heart of Jesus, now that he has been exalted back into heaven. And we've been asking the question, what is the heart of Christ for us here below as his disciples, now that he is seated at the right hand of God above. He is in a very different world than he was here below, the world that we are in. He is now on the throne of heaven in a world of perfect joy and happiness, and we still are here below in this world of sin, darkness, and confusion. And so what is his heart toward us now and has his love and affection for us changed now that he has ascended back into his glory. We've begun to answer that question from various passages while he was still on the earth, before his ascension back into heaven. We saw how he dealt with his disciples in the upper room in John 14 through 17 and how he spoke to them after his resurrection as he was anticipating his ascension And as encouraging as those passages were to show us the continuing love and affection of Jesus for us. Yet in all of them he was still on earth and he had not yet ascended and taken his throne back in heaven. And whatever we may have seen while he was still here below. It could not answer the question Accurately or completely, what is his heart now that he has been exalted into the highest place of glory and power above? And that's the great value of this passage here in Hebrews chapter 4, especially in verse 14, which we will begin to look at this morning. Last Lord's Day, we saw verse 14, the supremacy of Christ. Verse 15 the sympathy of Christ as our high priest, verse verse 16, the saving power of Christ as our high priest. And as we continue our study this morning, we want to see here that the writer is, in this passage, he is being evangelistic. And that's how we want to look at the passage this morning. If we look back to verses 6 and 7, The writer says in verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, to enter the rest, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart's In verse 6, he speaks of those who in the days of Moses, they had the good news preached to them of a promised rest. But they failed to enter that rest because of their unbelief and their disobedience. And then in verse 7, he quotes from David in Psalm 95, hundreds of years, 500 years after the time of Moses. And there in verse seven, he says, he, that is God, again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So in verse six, Moses preached the good news of a promised land of rest. And then centuries after Moses, God was still preaching that same promise of rest Through David. And here we have the writer of Hebrews. Who himself in his own time. He is quoting from Psalm 95. A thousand years after David wrote that verse. And he is still preaching from the same promise. The same promised rest. To the people to whom he was writing. And the promised rest can still be preached to men today. Because the promised rest. Land is not the land of Canaan, but it is the heavenly land of the new heavens and the new earth, and the promised rest is the rest of eternity in the presence of God. So as long as the gospel is still being preached before the coming of Christ at whatever time and whatever whatever place, it is still today. It is still the day in which heaven is opened. And sinners may come to Jesus and find rest and salvation. And all who hear his voice speaking to them in the gospel are welcome to come to him. Today, he says, if you hear his voice, if you hear the voice of Jesus speaking to you in the gospel, do not harden your hearts. Do not turn away from him. Ignore him but come repenting and believing and you shall find rest for your souls. So the writer to the book of Hebrews here, he is not just speaking for the encouragement or the comfort of believers, but he is speaking evangelistically in verse 7 and in everything that follows as well. Because as we see, In the rest of the book of Hebrews, there are some, there were some who had not yet embraced Jesus fully by faith as they should have. Some had fallen away because of persecution. And others were tempted to abandon their faith as well because of the pressure and because of the trials that they were under. They had come to church As the writer says in Hebrews chapter 6, they had tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, but they had fallen away. They had come to church and they had some sense that the things that were being preached were true and real. They had tasted something of the power of God's word and the age to come, but they had never come completely to rest themselves and to cling to Christ so that they could endure all the trials that they would experience in the Christian life and then come to their final salvation in the end they were like the stony ground hearers of whom Jesus spoke of in the gospels where he said The man hears the word, immediately he receives it with joy, but he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. That's what had happened to some of the Hebrews to whom this writer was writing. And he was afraid that it was going to happen to others as well. And the only solution was for them to hear the gospel again and for them to truly come and embrace Jesus Christ and hold on to him to the end, to their final salvation. So he is preaching here evangelistically. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts Do not turn away from him, but come to him and find his great salvation. Down in verse 14, he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We have a great high priest, he says. A priest is one who represents the people in the presence of God. The need of a priest is something that is foreign to our way of thinking in the modern world, but it was not to the Hebrews to whom the writer speaks here because they were well aware of the Old Testament. The tabernacle and all the priesthood of the tabernacle and everything that was written in the, about the tabernacle and the priesthood, it was to prepare the people for the coming of Christ Sin had made such a separation between God in heaven and men on earth that no man could ever enter into the presence of God. No man could ever try and strike some kind of a deal with God. No one could ever come and make any kind of a compromise with him. If any man sought to enter the presence of God directly, he would be consumed by the holiness of God of god so what god did was he appointed a priest to represent all the people in the presence of god only the high priest could enter into the presence of god in the tabernacle and in the tabernacle what you had was the outer court with the curtains and only the priest could enter and Inside that outer court there was the sacrifices upon the altars. And then there was a veil within that outer tabernacle and in the veil was the holy place. And as we are told in chapter 9 of this book, inside the holy place was the lampstand and then the table and the sacred bread. It was called the holy place. And behind The second veil, behind the second veil now, was the tabernacle and it was called the Holy of Holies. And there inside the Holy of Holies was the presence of God. And there was in the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant, all covered over with gold and the golden cherubim on either side. And within the Ark was the Ten Commandments, which was the broken law of God, broken by man's sin. And over the top of the Ark of the Covenant, the broken law within, over the top, was the mercy seat. And only the priest, the high priest, could enter into that holy place once a year with blood. And he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And under it was the broken law. And the idea was that when God looked down upon his broken law, he would see the blood. So that the blood would cover the broken law. And he would have mercy. And he could have pardon upon the people. It was a fearful thing for the high priest to ever enter into the holy of holies. And that's why whenever he would enter... On the Day of Atonement, the people would stand outside the tabernacle and they would anxiously be looking and waiting to see if the high priest would reappear and come out of that Holy of Holies so that their sins, the sacrifices would be accepted and their sins would be forgiven. It was the practice of the Jews To tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest. Because when he went into the holy place. If something was wrong with the high priest. And God became angry and struck the high priest dead. Inside the holy of holies. No one else could go in to take him out. And they would have to pull him out by the rope. That was the practice of the ancient Jews. They remembered what happened to Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10. When they came as priests, they offered strange fire before God, which which he had not commanded. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died in the presence of the Lord. But the tabernacle and the holy place And the high priest and the blood of the atonement, it was all only symbolic. It had no efficacy. It had no power to remove any sin in the sight of God. It was only symbolic of the real holy place of God in heaven. And the great high priest Jesus who was to come the only one who was perfectly holy in himself, the only one who could enter in to the holy place of heaven. The Old Testament priests, they were sinners, but Jesus was the only holy high priest without any sin. They came with the blood of bulls and goats that could never take away sin. He came with his own precious blood that was of infinite value to remove every sin they entered into a place a tabernacle on earth he entered into the tabernacle of God in heaven they died he lives forever and so that's why he says in verse 14 we have presently we have this great high priest he says he has passed through the heavens he speaks here of the heavens plural sometimes he speaks of heaven singular here he speaks of it plural and some will say well because the jews of that time they believed in seven different layers of heaven above from the lowest to the very highest and then we could also think of second corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2 where the apostle paul refers to the third heaven where he had that vision, so there was the first heaven, which is the sky that we see above, and then there is the second heaven, which is the stars and the galaxies throughout all the heavens, and then there is the third heaven, which is the place of God's throne and the place of his majesty and his glory above He is omnipresent in every place with all of his being. But he has a place in heaven where he manifests his glory and his majesty in its fullest measure. No matter how we divide the heavens, what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here in verse 14 is that Jesus has passed through all of these heavens. And he has gone into the highest of all heavens far above all power, dominion, and authority, and might. He is speaking here of the physical body of Jesus that has passed through the heavens. The same body he received in the incarnation, the same body by which he dwelt here on earth, the same body that hung upon a cross, the same body that was raised from the dead, that body, in that body, Jesus has ascended into heaven as a man where he is now glorified in that body at the right hand of God the Father. And he is our great high priest there to intercede for us and to represent us in the presence of God. But the things that are spoken of here in the book of Hebrews... The tabernacle, the priesthood. These are things which are from long ago. We have never seen a tabernacle. We have never seen the priesthood. That is mentioned in this book of Hebrews. Jesus himself ascended back into heaven almost 2,000 years ago. And so many might wonder, well, What does all of this have to do with us today? And what does a tabernacle and priesthood and all of this, what does it mean to me and what does it have to do with me? And so we want to answer that question this morning. We want to answer the question, why is it that every one of us here need a great high priest in the presence of God? And we will answer that question by three verses in this book of Hebrews And by three fears that are present in the life and the heart of every single person here and every single person in this world. The first fear is the fear of death. We turn back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15. We read in verse 14, Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise, Jesus, also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through the fear of death are subject to slavery all their lives. At the end of verse 14, he speaks of the devil and the power of death. The devil brought death into the world in the beginning by leading our first parents into sin. And the devil has ruled over every man and woman ever since with this power of death over them. He is the God of this world who rules by the power of death. And by the fear of death, he says in verse 15 that men are subject to slavery all of their lives. That is, that they live all of their lives with this dark cloud hanging over them, that one day they must die. It is inevitable, it is certain, the angel of death and the power of death will come, and no one knows when it will come. We may be young, we may be old, but we do not know the time when it will come. But when it does, everything that we have known in this present world will be taken from us. No matter what wealth we have obtained, houses, cars, boats, lands, bank accounts, we must leave it all behind. No matter how much fun we have had, no matter how many pleasures we have been able to pursue, they will all come to an end. No matter what honors or positions that we have obtained, they will all be taken from us. Everything that we have known in this world will be gone. And our bodies go down into a grave. And death will come and its power over us. Death has spread to all men and all have sinned. And everyone must face this king of terrors. Men do whatever they can do to ignore it. Men do whatever they can do to suppress the knowledge of it, the reality of it, and pretend that it does not exist. And what they do so often is they pursue more and more of the things of the world in a vain effort to ignore the reality of this haunting and dreadful reality of death. But the secret, the unspoken secret, Of every human heart in this world is that every man and woman, every boy and girl is a slave, is in slavery of the fear of death all their lives. The second fear that we find in this book of Hebrews is the fear of judgment. In chapter 10, verse 31, what does, what does death bring about? What does it bring us into? And now we answer that question here in chapter 10 in verse 31. Chapter 10 in verse 31, the apostle says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is what death brings every one of us into, into the hands of the living God. We must stand before him in judgment. We must give an account for how we have lived in this world. And if we have lived as sinners, if we have done our own things and we have pursued our own ways in rebellion against God, this is what death will be. It will be a terrifying thing. It will be the most frightening thing that we have ever experienced because we will fall into the hands of the living God we look back to verse 30 and the writer quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 30 Deuteronomy 32 for we know him who said this is God speaking he says vengeance is mine I will repay vengeance vengeance a holy and pure and righteous vengeance God says vengeance belongs to me it belongs to me it is mine And when death comes, this is what I will do as the holy and righteous God. I will come in vengeance and I will repay the sinner, he says, by sending him into an everlasting darkness of hell. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And then we see back in verse 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning willfully after we have received, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire that will consume the adversaries. So this is what death brings us into, into this terrifying judgment of God. Verse 31 is true. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But then the third fear that we see here is the fear of meeting God himself. In chapter 12, chapter 12 of this book, the last verse of the chapter in verse 29, we read this, for our God is a consuming fire. This is who God is. This is who he is in his eternal, unchanging character. This is who he is in the holiness and the justice that is his. He says in verse 29 For our God is a present reality. He is still the same as he has always been. He is unchanged. He is a consuming fire. In his holiness, in his justice against human sin, he is the same God who came down on Mount Sinai in a consuming fire. He is the same God of Nadab and Abihu. And he is the same God as Psalm 97 in verse 2. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes out before him and burns up his adversaries round about. This is God. This is who he is in his perfect and pure holiness forever. This is who he will always be. Our God is a consuming fire of holiness In heaven. So, what we have done in these three verses is we have answered the question why do we all need a high priest? Because of these three unchanging realities the fear of death, the fear of judgment, and the fear of God as a consuming fire the ancient tabernacle of Israel and the priesthood of ancient Israel that the book of Hebrews speaks of, all of that is long gone, thousands of years ago. But these are the realities that haunt every man and woman in this world. And these are the realities and the truths that continue and they will never change. The fear of death the fear of judgment and the fear of God as a consuming fire. We need someone. We need someone to deal with these realities for us. That's what we need. We need someone to go before us and take away these fears. We cannot do it ourselves. It is impossible for us. We can do nothing in the face of these terrifying realities. We need someone. We need a high priest. We need a great high priest who will go before us and deal with these things. The fear of death, the fear of judgment, and the fear of God as a consuming fire. And that's what the apostle tells us back in chapter 4. and verse 14, he says, we have... We have such a high priest. We have a very great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens, and he has accomplished everything that we need, and he has taken away all of these fears. This is what we see in the Gospels and how he accomplished it. He came as a man, and as a man he became our high priest. We see him in his perfect life in the Gospels, and then we see him as he comes to the end of life and he enters into the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the cup of God's wrath was before him as he was approaching the cross. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the cup of God's wrath was filling up with the terror of his judgment And he cried out, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. It was a terrifying thing for Jesus to enter into the garden of Gethsemane. But he did not turn back. And he went forward to the cross. And there at the cross, he cried out, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Because what was happening at the cross is the consuming fire of God's wrath was falling down upon Jesus and he was quenching and placating and appeasing all of that wrath in his death upon the cross in a propitiation to take away all of our sins. There he became the great high priest for us. The Roman soldiers came. They found him dead upon the cross. They did not break any of his bones. They pierced him with the spear and out came the water and the blood. And Then he was taken down from the cross and buried in a tomb. A great stone was rolled against the tomb to seal the tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead with eternal life, never to die again. Resurrection, life was now in him. He had conquered death in the resurrection. Peter could say of him at the day of Pentecost that he was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And Peter said, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. That's what happened at the cross and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross, he entered into the consuming fires of God's wrath and he took away the terrifying judgment that is due to us. So that there is no condemnation anymore upon those who are in Christ Jesus. And in the resurrection he conquered death. And removed its power from us as well. So we do not need. And we should have as Christians as those who believe in Jesus. We should have no more fear. Of any of these things. No more fear of death. No more fear of any terrifying judgment against us and no more fear of God as a consuming fire. We do fear death only out of weakness of our minds, perhaps only out of remaining unbelief, but we have no reason to fear it from the Bible, from the word of God. Because all death is for us who are believers is an entrance into the glorious presence of Jesus. That's all it is. However rough it may be, Jesus said, he who hears my word and believes, him who sent me has now eternal life and does not come, does not come into judgment but has passed out of death and into life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Christ has set us free from the fear of death. And death for us is, as Paul says, a very great gain. He says to depart. It is to depart to be with Christ, which is very much better. Death is swallowed up in victory, Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we will say at the resurrection, we could even say it now. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So all three of these fears have been taken away from us entirely, completely, and forever. The fear of death, the fear of judgment, and the fear of God as a consuming fire. The fear of death is taken away by the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. The fear of judgment is taken away by his cross because now all our sins have been paid for. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And the fear of God as a consuming fire is no more because God in heaven has become our loving heavenly father. All three fears gone by the work of Jesus. But we ask the question, does Jesus still have this same kind of compassion, mercy, and forgiveness to sinners here below? He has been exalted into heaven. Does he still show this compassion to sinners and to take away all of these fears from them? And the answer from our text here in Rome in Hebrews chapter 4, and verse 15, is yes, he does. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, with us here below, with sinners here below. He is a high priest in heaven, a double negative he gives us here. What he actually means is that we, actually, we do have, we most certainly do have a great high priest who can still sympathize, have compassion and mercy upon sinners here below. We'll turn to one passage in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Luke and chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7. Beginning in verse 36, Jesus was invited into the house of Simon the Pharisee. And when he was in the house, reclining at the table, a woman came in who was known to be a sinner. And she was repentant and she was weeping at Jesus' feet. And we read in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Then Jesus told a parable in the following verses. And then we hear what he says at the end of the parable to the Pharisees. He speaks directly to the Pharisees now, down in verse 47, and he speaks in the presence of the woman. He says, verse 47, he says, for this reason I say to you, he's speaking to Simon and the Pharisees. He says, her sins, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he turned to the woman in verse 48, and he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Now, this was a most troubling thing for the Pharisees to hear. They could not bear to hear Jesus declaring that someone's sins had been forgiven. This is not the first time he had done so. When the paralytic was let down through the roof and he was laid before Jesus, Jesus said to him, your sins, my son, your sins have been forgiven. And they accused him of blasphemy because they said, who is this man who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. They were right but they that only God can forgive sins, but they did not know that he was God in human flesh. And so here again, once again, when they hear these words, they're deeply troubled. And we see in verse 49, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sin? So here is this woman here who came in. To the house of the Pharisee, she was a notorious sinner. She was a very great sinner and everyone knew her to be so. And yet Jesus said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Two times he declares this in verse 47. In the beginning of the verse, he speaks to the Pharisees. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, her sins, which are many. He admits they are many. Very many. Many. Her sins, which are so many, have been forgiven. And then he turns in verse 48 to the woman herself directly and says to her in the presence of the Pharisees, Your sins have been forgiven. He wants to assure her. He wants her to be certain that she knows that her sins have been forgiven. It was not enough for her to hear it indirectly by the words to the Pharisees because the forgiveness of sins comes directly from Jesus. And so he turned to her and he said to her, Your sins, however many they may be, however many and great they may be, they have all been forgiven you. We read in verse 50, And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace peace this is how her sins were forgiven by faith he says your faith has saved you your faith in me as the Savior has saved you and brought the forgiveness of your sins she was not forgiven by any of her good works she was not forgiven by any of her human efforts her reformation or any change of life she had no such thing she was only forgiven by her faith in Jesus alone And then he tells her to go her way in peace. So what we see here is this great compassion, sympathy, and the mercy of Jesus towards sinners. And we see it so often in the Gospels. The Pharisees were so surprised at Jesus. Because the Pharisees were men who were so concerned about their own reputations. They wanted to make sure that their reputation as holy men was preserved before the eyes of all others, so they kept themselves at a distance from sinners. Jesus was not like that. Jesus was a friend of sinners, and he loved to be with sinners and declare their sins to be forgiven. That's what happened with Matthew when Jesus passed by Matthew's booth. A very great sinner, a tax collector, Jesus said to him, follow me. And Matthew immediately arose and followed him. And Matthew made a great feast and invited all the tax gatherers and sinners into the house. The Pharisees were outside. They were very angry that he was sitting with tax gatherers and sinners. Jesus said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous. But sinners to repentance. That's who Jesus came for. He came for the sick. Those who are sick with sin, those who are wounded, those who have been beaten down, weary and heavy laden with their sins, those who have made a mess of their lives by their sins, those who have brought ruin upon themselves. Like this woman, she was sick, and yet Jesus, the great physician, has made her well and healed her. And sinners who come to Jesus, they will not find him condemning like the Pharisees. They will find him welcoming and healing and forgiving and cleansing them of all their sins. He is the friend of sinners. Jesus always knew when sinners were seeking after him. He sensed it. He desired to find them. When he went into the city of Jericho, there was that tax collector Zacchaeus, and he was interested in Jesus. He was beginning to seek after Jesus. He climbed up into the sycamore tree to see Jesus. Jesus knew it. No one told him about Zacchaeus. No one told him Zacchaeus' name. Jesus came into the city and he looked up into the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Salvation has now come to your house. He knew Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was interested in him. And as soon as a sinner begins to seek after Jesus, Jesus will come and find him and save him. Someone will say, well, he is no longer here on earth. That's what we see in the Gospels, but that's what the apostle is telling us. The writer to the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 15, that yes, he has passed through the heavens, but he is still the same. He is still the same sympathetic, compassionate, forgiving high priest in heaven. He has not really changed at all. The Apostle Paul said of himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, he said, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world, sinners to save, among whom I am foremost of all. And so he is the, of the, he is the Savior of the foremost and the greatest of all sinners. Whoever comes will find him to be the Savior. There's one more passage we need to look at in, back in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. And the apostle says here in verse 14 of Jesus, he says, for by one offering... By one offering, one sacrifice, one death upon the cross, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. This is what the sacrifice of Christ on the cross has done for all believers for all times. It has perfected us so that we are now perfect in the sight of God. We are perfectly cleansed from all of our sins. We are perfectly clothed in the white robes of Christ's righteousness. He has perfected us. He has made us complete by one offering. He has perfected. He has completed everything that we need for our salvation. This this verse, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. This verse is in the same book of Hebrews that we were looking at earlier where Paul talked about the slavery of the fear of death. And it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the God of heaven is a consuming fire. This verse is in the very same book. And so what he is saying here is that all these fears are removed By the one offering of Jesus, he has perfected us in the sight of God. And being perfect now in the sight of God, there can be no fear of death for us. There can be no fear of judgment. And there can be no fear any longer of God as a consuming fire. All of these fears have been taken away from us who believe in the gospel. This is what happened to that woman, who was such a notorious sinner in Luke chapter 7. She was made perfect in the sight of God by the one offering of Jesus. This is what happened to the woman at the well. This is what happened to Matthew and Zacchaeus and the Apostle Paul. This is what has happened to a vast multitude that no one can count through all the ages of us here this morning who believe we have all been made perfect and cleansed in the sight of God by the one offering of Jesus. And back in Hebrews chapter 4, back in Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 15, the writer tells us in verse 15 that Christ, though he has passed through the heavens, he still has this sympathy for sinners On earth, he is still the same. And then he tells us in verse 16 that let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's where he is. He is in heaven. He is on the throne of grace in heaven. And the invitation is that for any sinner to come to him and call upon the name of the Lord, he shall be saved And he shall find grace. He shall find mercy. He shall receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The forgiveness of all of his sins. And eternal life. This is the promise that is given. To all who will come. To Jesus in heaven. Do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice come. Today. Today if you hear his voice come. Speaking to you in the gospel. Do not harden your hearts. But come to Jesus and be saved. And find him to be the sympathetic high priest who saves sinners so willingly. He has not changed from when he was on earth. He is still the same. He has passed through the heavens. But he is still the savior of sinners. With great mercy, with great power to save. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your glorious son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and all of his great mercy, his sympathy, his compassion for sinners, that he came into this world to take away every fear that is against us, to satisfy the justice of God, to take away the judgment that is due to us. And thank you that we may come and believe and find in him mercy and eternal life. Lord Jesus, bless your word to everyone here and guide each of us to your throne of grace that we might find this mercy and we might find this grace to help. We thank you now. We pray that you would hear us. In Jesus' name, amen.